When shopping online, buyers tend to think of three things. Expediency, comfort, and minimizing their costs. And we don't tend to think of buying online as being a moral issue. All this may change thanks in part to local business owner and local author Danny Kane, owner of the Raven Bookstore, as he recently came to uh, highlight the moral issues involved with shopping on Amazon. And so for this episode of Lawrence Talks, we decided to sit down with Danny Kane to discuss what just what these moral implications are and what are some of the things we should be thinking about before we deciding to buy online. As always, I'm your host, David Tamez, and I hope you enjoy this special episode of Lawrence Talks. All right, folks, uh, this is uh, David Tomez, and this is Lawrence Talks. We have a wonderful episode for you today. Um, as I mentioned, we are discussing the morality and ethics of buying local. Um, and actually, I should make uh, those are distinct uh, sort of topics in, in philosophy, morality, and ethics. So just to say the morality of, of, of buying local. Um, and who better to have to discuss this topic with? Then uh, our very own uh, Raven Bookstore owner, Danny Kane. Um, and bef- but before we get started, uh, I'd like to mention a few things that are uh, to look ahead. Um, we have an event coming up uh, or in September, September 26th, uh, 7 p.m. Uh, and that's going to be about evaluating politicians. What are some ways we think about that? How, how do we go about it? Uh, and even uh, judging who to vote for, uh, what sort of considerations should we make? Uh, and we have some local uh, local folks there to uh, partake in that conversation as well. And coming up soon will be a uh, a blog post about free speech and just some of the ways that people have, have discussed uh, possibly limiting speech in order to make it, I guess, uh, better and more fruitful. But more more of that to come. Uh, but at, but today's topic again is is uh, very. Uh, interesting and and very uh, local to Lawrence as we like to keep it uh, why should we uh, what are our moral duties to our community what are our moral duties to uh, in terms of buying local um, and, and before we bring that discussion out uh, Danny can you uh, I guess introduce yourself for, for some reason if some people don't happen to not know who you are at this point uh, which would be odd but just for uh, for the sake uh, yeah, just uh, for introduction's sake. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm Danny Kane. I am the owner of the Raven Bookstore here in Lawrence. I've owned the Raven for almost exactly two years. I took over on August 1st, 2017. Uh, before that, I worked there as a part-time bookseller while I was doing my MFA in poetry at KU. So I moved to Lawrence to get a grad degree in poetry. Um, picked up the part-time bookselling job because that's the dream, working in a bookstore. had never been able to do that before. Um, and then ended up falling in love with the business so much that I kind of worked things out with my boss at the time who was looking to retire. Um, so I graduated in May of 17 and took over the store in August after spending the summer getting ready uh, to do that. Nice. And um, and what made you fall in love with, I guess, Lawrence and then also being a, being a bookseller? Sure. That's two different questions, although they are related. Um, I fell in love with Lawrence. I'm a, a creature of the suburbs. 
and Lawrence is a little bit more of a self-contained um, city. And I really enjoyed, I've always lived within walking distance of downtown. And I love being able to walk to work, to be able to run into people I knew um, in places I went, um, places like the Merck Co-op. I've never really been um, a member of a place like that or a shopper there. Our public library is amazing. Um, and we just kind of blossomed into a happy life here. Um, I have always lived in the Midwest. I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, but I'm not, I don't think I'm for, I don't have the temperament for the expensive and fast-paced coastal living. Um, though I do love the, the culture and the energy of living in, in a city, I just have always believed in it and kind of thrived in the middle part of the country. And it doesn't get much more middle than Lawrence. Um, almost exactly in the geographic center of the United States. Uh, so all that stuff kind of led to us deciding we were going to be here a bit longer term than we thought. Um, and then with book selling, it's just uh, I've always had, since I, could, since I was four and learned how to read, I've always had a huge passion for reading. And the planning events and ordering books and getting advanced copies and just talking to people about books all day, it's a really wonderful kind of culture and place to be. Um, and so the more and more I learned and met people in the book selling business, it was very welcoming, very, um, it's just kind of a warm space to work. And coming from poetry and the academic job market and thinking about trying to get um, a teaching job was very, very cutthroat across the humanities, but especially for the really good creative writing jobs, um, you need to really aggressively build your CV and be very competitive um, and lucky um, to land one of those jobs. And I wasn't even that sure I loved teaching. And so here I had these two paths. I still write. I still love writing. I'm publishing all the time. But in terms of, of a day job, it's, it's unrealistic to think you can make poetry a day job in this day and age, unfortunately. But um, I had this whole world kind of opening up to me in the bookstore, so I decided to commit to that instead. So do you feel like, in part, it was because of the sort of warm public embrace of the Lawrence community that resulted in you falling in love with working at the bookstore? Um, and if so, uh, do you think a store like The Raven could survive and thrive uh, in other communities? Uh, Yes. I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, part of the success of a bookstore is definitely its community. And um, part of what a store like this requires to stay alive and thriving is a really supportive community. Um, and there are a couple, of course, there are exceptions to every rule, but they say um, to have a successful bookstore, it needs to be in a city of 30,000 people or more. You need to have dense foot traffic. You need to be surrounded by other small businesses. And like basically, everything on the how to open a successful bookstore checklist, Lawrence like checks off every mark. But other places like Iowa City, um, Columbia, Missouri, these small towns, they're, I mean, from like San Francisco or New York City standards, these are small towns. I don't think Lawrence is small, um, but compared to other places it is. But they can still support these kind of businesses if they have the right density um, and the right kind of supportive community. So, um, yeah, at least in part, it's going to be part of, sorry, it's going to be the community's involvement at the bookstore that makes it uh, special, right? That yeah. creates a good business and a, a thriving business and a thriving community right. go hand in hand, right? Every time um, 
when I'm doing job interviews, I keep track of how long it takes for someone to say the word community. And like the earlier it comes out of their mouth, that's like one of the things I'm assessing. And if they don't ever even approach the idea of community, that's probably not the best job interview. So um, part of the thing that we want to be discussing today is um, our moral obligations with respect to our local businesses, right? And so you mentioned the Merck Co-op and obviously your store. These are places where the community is both involved in and um, those businesses are contributing in some way to the community themselves. Can you tell us some of the things that the Raven Bookstore does uh, in Lawrence? Sure. Uh, in terms of events and um, other things that you do? Yeah. Um, do you, when is this going to air? Do we know? Um, probably tomorrow. Okay. Well, because we have a, a big announcement tomorrow of yeah, a, a so really example, but I can talk reasons. about it yeah. <laughs> as long as it comes out after tomorrow morning. Um, one of the main things we try to give, ways we give back is events, and we, we throw free cultural programming for the city, um, you know, safe, interesting things to do for free. Um, often that's bringing an author to town. Um, and the, the act, it's just another way to interact with books, is to meet your favorite author and hear them talk about that book. Um, we've had growing success with this. It's, a, it's an uphill climb to convince a publicist that has spent their whole life in New York City that Lawrence, Kansas is worth a plane ticket and a hotel room to send an author to. Um, but people who come here often love it. And we, we do put together some pretty good crowds for out-of-town authors. Um, and it's just a way um, to kind of feed the, the literature community in Lawrence. Um, so that's probably the most publicly visible one. Um, but we team up, we have a ton of local partners. A lot of that, we function in many ways like a nonprofit in the way we team up with other nonprofits and other businesses. And we work together with Lawrence Public Library on, on many, many things. The Hall Center and the Commons on KU's campus. Um, and then local authors as well. The, we have a series of events with the Watkins Museum of History. Um, so in building this network of connections and, and, and teamwork, um, that's a model that I kind of stole right from nonprofits, is that you team up and you, you grow strength and influence. Um, probably the biggest example of that is the Paper Plains Literary Festival, which is happening in April, April 23rd through 26th. Um, and we just have a huge team of, basically everybody I just mentioned is working together to put on a huge literary festival the last weekend in April. And again, this is something both for people who live here, um, to do something free and enjoyable um, and have face time with interesting authors and have interesting cultural programming for Lawrence residents, but also to hopefully show the rest of the world that Lawrence is an interesting place, that like stuff is happening in the Midwest. And this is kind of a chip on my shoulder that motivates me a lot is that we're not some sort of everywhere in between Chicago and Denver isn't just like country bumpkins um, and like backwards people. There's all sorts of interesting art, um, and, and thinking and just this huge, tremendous amount of diversity coming out of this part of the country that's often ignored or simplified by some New York Times reporter who goes to Iowa City and is like, I can't find almond milk here, um, which just isn't true, but it happens at every primary season. You see it happening all the time. And so that's another way we try to um, champion the great work and great art that's happening here. But even on a small level, the way we give back to the community, I mean, we're donating gift certificates to silent auctions. Um, we're hosting book clubs. We're um, just in, we, I just um, 
put together, we're putting bookmarks into like these welcome packets for international graduate students up at KU. Um, so all these these little tiny ways we're, we 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 underwrite public radio and PBS. Um, so, you know, the, that's just a, a part of it. The way we give back to the community. I'm sure I missed some things, but yeah. No, I, I think uh, so. For those who don't know, about Kevin and I, um, I'm from Austin, Texas. Kevin's from Los Angeles, um, and. When I came, to, when we came to, I think, or when I came, I can speak for myself. I, uh, when I came to Lawrence, um, I discovered the same things that you just talked about, right? It's, um, and that's one of the things that we want to do with this podcast, with this project, is to highlight um, scholarship that's mm -hmm. done here in the Midwest, and um, and not necessarily uh, the theoretical things, but the thing, the scholarship that's unique about the Midwest, and um, and bring in, and hopefully highlight. Uh, the the research um, and scholarship that's done from KU and, and local mm -hmm. local universities um, because again, like as you mentioned um, you, you don't get that a lot from you don't hear about Midwest uh, scholarship or Midwest uh, philosophy or humanities um, you just hear about those in from Harvard Yale uh, the big the big universities so I think and and our my ex or our experiences with building uh, our Lawrence I mean Lawrence talks as um, yeah, we've been partnering with everyone uh, that you that you've mentioned, and it's rather easy. I mean, everyone's welcome to it, which is sort of nice, right? Um, and the sort of one of the questions that we I guess we had was, uh, you just mentioned all the great work and 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 things that the things that come out of uh, the Raven Bookstore, um, and what and so those contribute to why we should support. Uh, the Raven Bookstore and, lo and local businesses in general. Um, is that the only, uh, and before we get, actually, before we get there, tell us a little bit about, I guess, the, um, the I guess, your, the uh, Amazon concerns and what brought you to, uh, to talk about the ethics or the morality of, of buying local. Sure. Um, where do I even start? Uh, the, it's kind of conventional wisdom that that Amazon.com is the biggest threat to bookstores as we know it. I, I would expand that and say it's a threat to a lot of things we take for granted and enjoy, especially in, in the community with a, well, I don't, I'm not even going to say that. I just think um, the idea of going to a store and buying something is <laughs> under siege. Um, and you could argue about whether that's a good thing or not. I would argue when you have a vibrant, um, downtown district full of small businesses, that's a bad thing for it to go away. But, um, and we can talk about that more later, the entire bookstore industry is is talking about ways to deal with Amazon um, and, and how to communicate what kind of threat it is and how to um, how to tell our story and, and kind of sell ourselves and explain to customers that they, um, yes, you're paying more for books from us, but here's why. I mean, that's a dialogue that's been going on since I've gotten into the business. It's been going on basically um, since the 90s. And in the 90s, you had the talk, like, how are we going to survive borders? In Barnes & Noble, there's these 30,000-square-foot megastores selling every book for 30% off. How are we going to survive? Uh, the bookstores did survive only to find this next threat kind of lurking around the corner. Um, but I think our the Ravens kind of super public stance about it started. Um, I was just working in my office, overhearing the store, and a customer came in and picked up a book 
Um, and this isn't about her because she did end up buying a pile of books. It was a good sale. But one book in particular she picked up and was like, I just saw this on Amazon for $15. It's a $26 book. Um, and books are prices are printed on books. And we're kind of... Um, we're supposed to sell books for that price. Um, we certainly can't go higher because people would question it because it's printed right there on the book. And if we go lower, we're cutting into margins that are already pretty slim. Um, but the, the particular thing about this book is that my cost for this $26 book was about $15.50. So if I had sold it at $15, I'd be making 50 cents on that book. And I just did a quick calculation. I was like, if we sold, we have 10,000 books in the store. If we sold every book in the store at a 50 cent profit, it would keep us open for about five days. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I just like, I wrote a little Twitter thread explaining this. Um, and then it's like, with that extra money we charge, here are all these things we provide. And then it just kind of ended up exploding um, and, and going. It was retweeted like 20,000 times. Um, and all of a sudden, we were kind of thrust into the role of being a spokesperson for the industry against Amazon, which is fine with me. Because I think one of the ways we can survive is to tell our story and explain our value in the face of all this. Um, but that's how I arrived at, at 2019's kind of the raven as a public advocate for small businesses against Amazon thing. Do you think part of the problem maybe is that um, when people are going and purchasing books uh, on Amazon rather than um, going to their local bookstore is that they fail to recognize the sort of value that uh, a local bookstore has to the community and um, for engaging with other people and for engaging just with the, um, the city in general? It, I think it could be, but I certainly don't want to imply that everybody who buys a cheap book on Amazon is um, recognizing the importance of a bookstore and ignoring it yeah. on purpose. Yeah. I think one of the dangerous things about Amazon is just how like stupid easy it is to buy anything from them. And like they, it was it's brilliant marketing. Like what we're gonna put smart speakers in everybody's home for listeners. I put air quotes around smart speakers, but they're like, oh cool, I can turn on my microwave by just talking to this little box. But ultimately, what that really is doing is providing a direct pipeline. You don't have to click on anything to buy something from Amazon. You can just tell this little box. So this is a huge corporation placing a microphone in your house, and that's really easy. And when you say I need a case of toilet paper to your Alexa, you're not thinking about like, oh, this might put the Merck out of business. You're just thinking I need toilet paper. So the, the decision-making process is so simple and quick that the thoughts of what's at stake when you're making that purchase don't even enter your head. Um, so I, I, I don't think um, someone who buys that $15 book is going to be like, screw the Raven, I'm going to do this. They're just yeah, like, oh, the book is right here. It's super easy. I'm already on the internet. It has my credit card and address saved. I'll just click and buy. Um, so the, the, the thought of what's at stake doesn't even have time to enter the person's mind, I think, more often than not. So were you surprised? So um, part of the recent attention that you've gained both on Twitter and elsewhere um, as sort of becoming the spokesperson of the bookstores um, in various ways led to uh, some author or some authors um, coming out in favor of purchasing books from um, the Raven Bookstore on Prime Day rather mm -hmm. than purchasing items from Amazon. Um, can you tell us a little sure. bit about that? Uh, I just saw someone, um, I saw in my mentions that, you know, someone just tweeted, Raven, they tweeted our handle, so I clicked through to see what they were tweeting about. And the author, Shea Serrano, 
it said, I want to support an independent bookstore on Prime Day. And I was like, oh, that's, he does this sometimes. It's like a cash mob. It's, I guess his whole online persona is built around, let's do these like quick and aggressive random acts of kindness to all sorts of things. Sometimes bookstores are the beneficiaries. And so I just fired off a quick tweet that was like, hi, Shay, we've talked about this stuff before um, in case you're looking for a store to support today. And like he picked it up and ran with it. And then all of a sudden, we had that day we had 365 online orders and all of last year we had 249 orders through our website so within a single day we did well above a full year's worth of business through the website um in, in terms of the store that's about a weekend's worth of business like a regular weekend so we had an extra weekend in in july which is nice um so that's how that came about um, I had just been talking to a sales rep earlier that day about Shay Serrano doing that stuff. Um, it's funny, he has a reputation. Um, and we were talking, and one thing that, one way this shows up, one little thing we keep track of um, is like when authors, authors off, always tweet about their books and they're like, go buy my book. And uh, you know, nine times out of 10, they'll put the Amazon link. Um, and we were, the thing we had been saying was that Shay is so good with these bookstores sometimes, but he still always links to Amazon. But that changed. That actually changed on Prime Day. He changed his link. Um, but that's again. That's part of it. Is if you just assume there's only one place to pre-order your book or one place to buy your book online. That's how Amazon kind of maintains control of it. So we're not just being vengeful, sitting there looking at which authors are good and which are bad. It's a big issue. Um, we have the capability to do pre-orders too. Um, so that's just another way that that Amazon kind of keeps the market cornered. So. Uh as somebody who's outspoken in favor of purchasing locally, do you, would you rather have had the attention that was driven towards your store in particular um, for each of the individuals that were purchasing the books go to their local bookstore? Uh, that's a good question. Um, selfishly, it was nice to make that much money. Yeah, of course. Um, so I won't ignore that. Um, I will say one of the things that, that I fell in love with the indie bookstore industry is that we're all rooting for each other. Um, and every time one of us has this huge success, something else will happen good to someone else later. And I'll, I'll cheer for that, too. He did it for two days because Prime Day was two days this year. He did Women and Children's First in Chicago the day after he did us. And they had, you know, almost as many orders as we did. And I was rooting for them. Just I bought a book from them that day, actually. So and every time I go to a different town, um, you know, I, I just have a personal um, stance that every time I'm in an indie bookstore, I make a purchase, whether it's a book or a T-shirt or something. Just like I come through the door, I'm going to support you guys. So we're all rooting for each other, um, and hopefully, the whole thing kind of raises enough awareness that they will look at their local bookstores too. But another thing is, um, not everybody lives in a city with thirty thousand people in a walkable downtown, and so it's good to also encourage people to make online relationships with bookstores because a lot of people are like, um, "Well, I'm just going to use Amazon because I don't have a bookstore close to me." And it's like, "Well, you don't, but we can ship too." Um, so we're rooting for each other, I've, and that's one of the things I love about it is it's not a competitive industry. I'm even rooting for Barnes and Noble, if you ask me, because like. Um, They've come on really hard times, and I think you could even argue that Amazon has hit them harder than a small bookstore, because we're responsive, we're nimble. I have nine part-time employees, and that's it, and I make all the buying decisions for the store. So I can be really responsive and, and do exactly what Lawrence wants. As long as I communicate with my customers and try to stay connected to the community, I can really 
uh, sharpen everything what I do to benefit and serve this place exactly. But it's much harder at a corporate level. Um, so in some ways, Amazon isn't even a competition to us. They're like this big, scary thing, but I don't consider them a competitor. They are totally competing with Barnes & Noble, because Barnes & Noble, the promise is they have everything in there. I mean, that's the idea. But if they go away, um, it just gives that much more leverage to Amazon. Because um, then it's like, they still, Barnes & Noble is still most of the brick and mortar sales from books in the country. Um, and that's a really scary thing. That just means that much more is dictated by online entities because that's just that much bigger of a share to, to people selling on the internet. Yeah, and, and, and um, just to bring this out a little bit, uh, a little bit more, um, are, you've mentioned some, I guess, uh, concerns in, in terms of uh, what buying local does to a community and um, what you, uh, the bookstore, are able to do in terms of uh, public programming and um, and working, I guess, responding to the community a little bit um, better than Amazon or uh, any other uh, similar similar um, company can do. Are, were there any other reasons that uh, led you to, um, I guess, proclaim or claim that uh, there's this is a moral this is a moral issue? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so were, were there any in additional to to some of the, the sort of um, the, the benefits that that you yeah. bring to the community? Um, I do. And like, I think it's important to have like good cultural events in this. It's by no means essential, though. Like this is the, it's a privilege. It's a luxury to have a free evening to go meet an author. So that's not even the most important thing. I think one of the scariest things about Amazon is the normalization of discounted goods delivered the next day. Um, and so all Prime members, all whatever, 100 million Prime members, basically have free next day shipping. And I think the environmental cost of that, um, we're going to be figuring out for years. And like one of the ways, I think the, the buying and selling of goods is not a kind thing for the planet to begin with. But one way to make that worse is to ship single item packages very quickly. Um, and that's just a way to drive more miles, to fly more miles in, in planes, um, to, you know, even just to having these little minivans idling outside every place they drop off. the And like those deliveries, the way they do it isn't to create more good UPS jobs. It's they've got these cheap little subcontractors um, like Lyft or Uber, these jobs that aren't super secure. Um, so I, I just think everything about what it takes to deliver that many single item shipments that fast isn't good. Um, you, 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 you're, the impact on the environment for the shipping industry and logistics is lessened the more efficient you are. And the more, if not efficient as in fast, but efficient as in biggest shipments possible, um, grouped together, it's just, it's kind of a crazy thing. And people love it so much that they don't think about the environmental cost. Yeah, and, and this is so, d disclaimer, um, this is a devil's advocate disclaimer. This is I'm I'm not in any way pushing against uh, uh, or myself pushing against anything you've said so far, um, but in the absence of someone from Amazon being here to defend themselves, sure, right, um, they might say that uh, doing what they do that they too have uh, a certain responsibility uh, to the community that they too. Um, they fund the sort of NEH projects, I believe. They uh, also have their uh, stake in, in other public programming uh, projects. Um, 
and and sometimes uh, or a lot of the times this is can this can be done at a greater scale than um, a local bookstore bookstore can do mm -hmm. um, and so it's not I guess for Amazon and their uh, if they were here they would say um, right we're not all bad right we can we also try to give give back in mm. some sense. Um, and and so, and if we line up, I guess, what Amazon's able to do and then line up what, I guess, uh, the Raven Bookstore or any local business is able to do for that, for a given community, um, Amazon has greater potential, I guess, to do to do right or to do good to, in, a, in a given community. Um, any do you have any I guess response to that sort of to that sort of uh, defense of, of Amazon? Um, yeah, I I would like to see um, the proof. I think that I'm sure um, I'm I'm sure just based on scale and and their profits that their charitable contributions are much more than I can probably even comprehend. Um, and certainly doing that much business and making that much profit is an indication of that. But I see something like Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, um, when asked what he's going to do with his profits, said the only choice is to start his own private space exploration program. Um, makes me skeptical. Um, I'm not sure that's what I would do <laughs> with my, my world record profits. Um, and it's not like every billionaire is a craven billionaire, because I think Bill Gates and Melinda Gates have done a lot of great work with education and literacy. Um, and they're a really, really public model of, of how to be a, a, a kind of a charitable billionaire. And I just don't see Jeff Bezos like that. Um, and then I also, um, when I see a news story about Amazon taking meetings with ICE about facial recognition software. Um, that's just what, what's going on with ICE is, is so scary um, and, and so horrible. And for any company um, to consider profiting off of that, even think about it, um, is a failure of morality, I think. Um, so no matter how, like what amount or how many Amazon Smile projects they do. Um, th these these high-profile examples of what I consider ethical failings uh, or moral fa I guess we're staying in morality. Moral failings yeah. um, makes me skeptical of that. Okay. Going back to the, um, the case of environmental impact or the environmental impact of um, a company like Amazon, do you think that local business, rather than a company like Amazon, can do a better job of mitigating whatever potential negative impacts that they might have on the environment, whereas Amazon, because of just the sheer scale, isn't going to be able to do that. Um, I I don't know, and like this is something I I wrestle with. I mean, I'm I'm obviously I'm selling paper. It's not the most environmentally friendly way to disseminate information, uh, uh, but. I just think that Amazon's, um, at least the retail, the retail end of their business, um, when you when you deliver, when your whole thing is based on the promise that we can get you whatever you want tomorrow, um, no matter how big or small or how many things you order at once, is um, that's not an environmentally friendly 
prospect. Um, the, the, the way to minimize the footprint of the shipping industry is to be much more strategic and careful at the expense of speed. Um, and what you're doing is you're, you're devaluing the, you're devaluing both the merchandise, which we can talk about the devaluing of the book, which is a whole different thing. And you're also devaluing the act of transporting something. And that should be expensive, especially to do it fast. The idea of getting something from point A to point B when that requires fuel and, and emissions and all that stuff, um, it, it's just kind of ignoring the, the, like it's, I've never thought, I've never really minded paying high gas prices because it, you should feel it. You should feel the pinch. Um, you should think, it should make you think about taking your bike or walking. Um, and I, like you could argue all you want about what impact an individual person would have on all of this, but this is not, we're not talking about an individual person. We're talking about recontextualizing the entire value of shipping. Like next day shipping should be astronomically expensive. It should cost you, it should make you pause and think about why you want to get that thing that fast. But Amazon is basically offering it for free. Um, which is taking away, again, it's that idea that the, um, the decision that you want something in the click, if you minimize the time between that, you're minimizing the thought of the impact, the thought of your effect on the downtown. It's just it happens so fast and so convenient that you're not even thinking about why or what the causes of your, your shopping decision are. It's just like, I need toilet paper. It arrives tomorrow. Um, so it's not a careful decision, and then it leads people to just for not even have time to consider the effects of, of their, you know, their purchase. Yeah. So, and that sort of speaks to the other half of the coin or the other side of the coin, right? That it's not, uh, one worry is the, uh, actions of Amazon. And the other side is to consider, uh, I guess the culture, the culture of buying, right? Um, people, uh, should think harder about, uh, the decisions they make when they uh, decide to buy or where they decide to buy. Um, so that seems to be a, a, as equal of a concern as uh, our concerns about the actions of Amazon. Would you? Would you yeah, I do. Um, and, I, and I recognize the role that privilege plays in this because I'm asking people to spend more. Like that, that, that question of thinking more is kind of code for spending more money on something. And I recognize um, the trouble in that. And um, if I could charge less for books, I would. But then if people are like, I want to buy books on Amazon because I can't afford to shop in your store. I'm a grad student, for instance. Um, I get it. Used bookstores and libraries also support the community in the same way that we do. Um, and, uh, I, I, and I know the Merck is always thinking about ways to be more accessible to lower income people. Um, you can spend food stamps at the farmer's market. Um, so I just, I, I think about, I, I often try to think about and recognize privilege in everything I say because it's, it's a blind spot for so many people. So with that caveat, I do think, um, well, I suppose if you value a place like downtown Lawrence, it should come into your buying decisions. Um, if you value being able to, to drive past buildings that aren't vacant or boarded up or for rent, um, your buying purchases do affect that. Your buying purchases do affect what kind of jobs are offered in your community, um, whether it's a kind of um, 
stable job at a store downtown or this kind of like day-to-day gigging for Amazon deliveries thing that might be super busy one day and just totally dry up the next. Um, or, you know, something like Lyft or Uber. Um, there are people's buying decisions do have this kind of ripple effect. I mean, where it might not happen, it might not be true of a single person's decision on a single day. If enough people decide to buy everything from Amazon, that does, that is going to totally reshape the American landscape and what we think of as, as a downtown, as a third place, as a cultural space, um, as our urban fabric. Um, that stuff will change. Um, so I do, it's part of it is Amazon's actions and I think part of it is um, just how easy people write. Yes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I, I guess one other, one other um, concern we might raise is, is that um, there are also uh, local bookstores uh, doing business through Amazon. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you I, I think, have made a conscious decision not to do that, mm -hmm. not to be on their market. Um, would you go as, so far as to uh, recommend that other local bookstores not do the same? I would. Um, there is, I mean, there is, uh, when we look for used or out-of-print books, we use a website called A Libris um, that has yet to be snapped up by Amazon. It's still operating outside. And um, a lot of the same booksellers are using that platform and Amazon, but just knowing that none of that whatever small fee they take from the transaction, none of that's going back to Amazon is enough for us um, to know that we're just not, as much as we can, we're not giving any money to Amazon. Um, but I, I, it's another, I think it's just another sign of how bad, how pervasive it's gotten, is that a lot of people think it's impossible to do any kind of business without somehow using Amazon. Um, and the used bookstore market is definitely um, part of that. When they bought, what is it, the other one that they bought up, I forgot the name of the used bookstore marketplace that they bought. Um, but they, they snapped it up and I think a lot of people were kind of devastated and in one way, just because they, people felt, sorry, I'm losing my thread. Um, part of the danger of Amazon, I think, again, another thing is how essential it feels to everybody. And so if a used bookseller can be like, I'm not going to survive without using Amazon, um, that's kind of scary, especially since in Amazon's perfect world, that used bookseller wouldn't have a physical location. Um, so we, again, we try to find, um, other places to do that kind of business. And fortunately, there still are. Um, that's another reason, though, like on a very practical level, why I don't, I'm not interested in selling used books um, because it's, it's less essential to my business model. It, I think it's easier to be a new bookstore without giving any money to Amazon than it is to be um, a used bookstore just because Amazon has taken over the used bookstore market that much. So as you mentioned, uh, at least online, a lot of the uh, local bookstore owners uh, have this sort of community where there's mutual engagement with one mm -hmm. another and trying to help each other out in various ways. Do you think that both in the online world and in your uh, local communities, there is this sort of mutual dependence between uh, people, right? And so it seems like one of the ways that things have gone wrong in, in certain a certain fashion is that 
many people have become dependent on Amazon, right? Rather than being dependent on, for example, their local bookstore. Um, and so it seems to be creating this sort of negative spiral in certain ways. So you lose one local business and then uh, the market that you had in the shopping center yeah. um, de deteriorates in certain ways. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, can... I don't know what my, where my question sure. is. Sure. Well, that, I th but. I've got a couple. <laughs> I think I have a couple anecdotes to, to speak to what you're asking here. Um, the first is um, we. <laughs> it's not. It's not quite as high on our list as Amazon, but we also have pretty serious issues with Yelp, um, and I know a lot of small businesses do. But one thing, um, they just kept pestering us and calling us and calling us. And one thing, um, one day I was just like, "Fine, I'll listen to whatever you're asking me, and then I'll just respectfully decline." What they were asking me was to place ads on the Dusty Bookshelf's Yelp page. And they were like, your competitor is getting 50% more Yelp hits than you are, so you need to place ads on their page. Um, and they wanted $25,000 a year for this, which is ridiculous, number one. But number two, I'm not their competitor. If the Dusty Bookshelf succeeds, we succeed. Um, when I lived in Cleveland, there's the, the kind of the OG Cleveland microbrewery is Great Lakes Brewing Company. And around the corner, um, a huge new microbrewery opened when I was there called Market Garden Brewing. Um, this is just big, beautiful new space, this flashy new brewery. And Great Lakes was like, great, that's good news. Um, a rising tide raises all ships. And I think that's the kind of thinking that really benefits these, these downtown. So there is a, a kind of codependency. Um, and I think being dependent on Amazon, like the, it's not, Amazon isn't giving that much back to you. They're giving you a cheap package delivered the next day, but that's kind of about it. Um, and so you can depend on them to take more money from you. And to, but it's um, one another interesting wrinkle of this whole thing is is self-published authors. Um, Amazon owns CreateSpace, which is the biggest self-publishing platform um, there is. And so an author is a self-published author, basically, especially if their book isn't in any independent bookstores is designing, publishing, and selling their books through the same company. And self-published authors prefer the nomenclature independent author. Um, but if you're selling, designing, publishing, printing, and marketing your book through the same company, that doesn't sound like independence to me. Um, and then Amazon repays them by taking huge cuts. And like they're, they're not making good rates off of that book. Um, they're alienating independent bookstores that would want they would want to see their book in because like again, if my philosophy is not to give any money to Amazon, it's like if I'm buying that book from you, I'm kind of giving money back to the the company that wants to eat me. Um, and so again, that's it's a benefit. A good local author bookstore relationship is dependent. Um, like we'll run their pre-order campaign and boost their numbers and then we'll get sales from that and we'll throw them an event. And like we have these authors that we have really great relationships with. If you try to form that relationship with your book in Amazon, you're not going to get anything back from them. Um, well, thank you, Danny. Before we let you go, um, could you say a little bit more about the Paper Plains Festival? That sure. Yeah. Uh, the Paper Plains Fest um, is... Um, a collaboration between the Raven, Lawrence Public Library, the Hall Center for the Humanities, the Commons, the Watkins Museum of History, and a bunch of other great local folks. April 23rd through 26th, 2020. I can't announce the lineup yet, but it's amazing. Um, we're having a launch party on September 18th at Maselli's at 7 p.m. where we will announce the lineup and have all sorts of fun literary activities. Um, details on that about that are on Facebook or our website, paperplanes.org.
It's paper, P-L-A-I-N-S, paper oh. planes. Awesome. Well, uh, everyone t uh, look out for that and uh, look out for September 18th uh, for, for that announcement and for that event and also for, uh, for the Lawrence Talks event on Sept the following weekend, uh, September 26th or the following week, I believe. Uh, September 26, uh, discussing how do we evaluate pol our politicians uh, when we vote for them or when we support them, uh, what are some considerations we need to make. Um, and from our conversation today, uh, thank you, Danny, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, and thank you for my co-host, Kevin Watson. Um, if you didn't agree with everything or if you do agree but and you want to uh, share your thoughts, feel free to uh, add them on the con uh, comment page on, uh, or comment section in, of, of our page. Uh, that's lawrencetalks.org. Uh, uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, lawrencetalks18. Uh, thank you all for listening, and see you all next time. Thank you.